Good morning, church. How are we this morning? Good. It, it is a lot uh, fuller than it was when I sat down. You, you all came from somewhere. I was sitting up front and thinking, well, we got 25 here. Uh, and not even all our worship team up front, right, Josh? Um, no. uh, sorry, Twilight, it's okay. Um, well, it is, it is always good to be together. And uh, in truth, it feels like quite a while since I've been here. Um, uh, time flies by, and then we had the summer schedule, which was a little different, so I, I was present for a number of the things this summer, uh, but uh, being back together uh, here in uh, this uh, fellowship hall, sanctuary, place of worship, it's just good to be together um, and uh, delighted to be able to continue to, to walk together. This, this morning um, uh, is a continuation of what the last two weeks we called uh, this, uh, this series, Committed, and uh, it's interesting when you think about the word committed, because the truth is, in today's context and culture and space, it's hard to get commitments. Uh, does that resonate for any of you? Um, uh, so uh, Haley and Amber over here, and they're a part of a generation where there's always one more thing that pops up on your screen that you could do, right? You commit to one thing, another thing comes along. The uh, only problem is that's true for all of us increasingly so. So commitment has to flow from something more than simply an opportunity. It has to flow from the heart. It has to come to say, I'm going to do this. This thing, this particular thing that is, is, is important or whatever it might be to me, I'm there. You can think about it in a variety of ways because the truth is commitment, there's all kinds of things we're committed to. There's some things that some of you here wouldn't miss. I mean, we're moving into the fall season, and in truth, all of us could get by without hunting this, this, this fall, right? No, no, I'll say that again. All of us could get by without hunting, right? Yeah, see, see? So you just heard commitment coming out. This has now moved up to the highest priority level that nothing else is going to trump this. That's not a word of judgment for me. I'm not a hunter, so I, you know, but, but in reality, you declared with your lips what your commitments are. Some of you looked at me while I was here, others didn't see it, but you shook your head. No, that's not true. I will be about of a delight and a joy that I have in my life, and I won't, re I won't be robbed of it. You hear what I'm saying? And those things come from within us they're a part of what has been planted, their family customs, there's cultures, there are things we're a part of. But we're committed to those things. We're not going to miss them. I think of Brenda and I, we love to be with our family. And you know what? We had a commitment that in the midst of a number of things this summer kind of crumbled, didn't it, Brenda? Every month for a block of time we're with our kids. And we were doing it with a regular routine. Well, we had different things. We were with them for a whole week for vacation, so things got changed or whatever. And that's still a commitment. My children and my grandchildren are a commitment because God has spoken to me that I am to sow and plant into them. And when I'm with them, intentionally not just being there just to have fun, though that's part of it, but it's also to sow into their lives. Committed. By the way, this is, none of this is on my notes. It's just coming right now as I'm here. This sense of commitment is what are you committed to? What won't get erased off your calendar? And if we're a faith 
community walking together, the reality is there have to be some shared commitments that we say being a part of EPMC means this, whatever that might be. And as a bridge team, and then more specifically the development, development team, a functioning group, and they're kind of thinking about saying, so what is it of where we're going in the future? We looked at it and said, what are things that stir our heart? So two weeks ago, you heard something that stirs Jonathan and Tracy's heart. Do you remember what it was? What stirs Jonathan and Tracy's heart? Hospitality. And, and, and probably even more than hospitality is this next slide here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, Ashish, because I gave them all the notes, and now I'm cheating and not using my notes, but living every day life on mission, including having parties and cookouts, which Jonathan just loves. Part of why he has to go hunting is he has to get food to be able to feed the people at all the parties he has. They're not here to be able to defend themselves, but that reality of what is there, this is inside Jonathan and Tracy. I've heard them talk about it. You heard them preach about it. Live everyday life, not everyday, but everyday life on mission. Being aware of the reality that God's called us to be on mission. We are the sent ones. Every one of us, we're missionaries. We often get this sense that we say, let's put all our money in a pot and send somebody to some other part of the world, and they're going to be the missionary. And by proxy, we do it because we give to them. Well, we do, but we don't get rid of our responsibility to be a part of that mission team in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever you live, in your schools. You are a sent one by God to be in that place to be about the work, the kingdom work that's there. And the kingdom work is more than anything else to represent the love of Christ, the heart of Christ, who God is in that place. And so it's going to require us to have commitments to be connected to God, to be in a place where we are aware of, attentive to what it is that God is doing. Because if not, you know what? We're going to go through week after week, grinding through whatever it is that we have to do, and then we show up on Sunday morning. Bam! Okay, back to God. Now we go back and we grind through it, and we're not attentive to this living everyday life on mission. And to do that, we also have to be at a place where we are living in emotionally healthy relationships. With You heard Katrina sharing some of this last week. Not the easiest sermon to, to preach. Because part of it is we challenge each other into that space and place where we say, are we healthy ourselves? Are we whole in who we are and where we're at and at peace with ourselves because God has come and transformed us? Or are we living out of our own brokenness? Because if we're living out of our own brokenness, we find it very difficult to be able to represent Christ to others. We do. And so the invitation, a commitment is saying, where are the places that I can be attentive to, to, to the place of mission? Where are the places that I can be inattentive to my own being healthy and whole so that I can be about the mission God's called me to? And there's more I could say there, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to leave that one there and say that, that, that brings us really into uh, that, the, the last one of this uh, little mini-series that we're focusing on. This is live in delight of God. Now, each one of us in that development team 
Jonathan and Tracy as a, as a pair, Katrina and myself, the four of us working together, we prayed about and looked and said, what is stirring in our hearts that we believe that God would be inviting us in some way in this faith community to be expressing as we move on through this year and into the next year? What is it that we're being invited into? And for me, almost immediately, it was this live in delight of God. Live in delight of God. Now, we know the terms, we know the phrases, we even know the verses about what this is about. Today, I'm asking Holy Spirit to help us go deeper into a space and place where there is something that opens up that allows us to take one more step into that space of delight. I think in truth, the challenge of where we're at in our discipleship, in our training, in, in, in whatever it is that we've done, it's, it's in the church been very much performance-based. Here are the right things to do. You're a follower of Jesus, so now you have to do them. Now notice I said you have to do them. It isn't something that flows out from us as a, a heart commitment at times. It becomes a duty. I really should be doing this, but I'd much rather be hunting. I really should be doing this, but I'd much rather, rather be doing whatever hobby I have. And then we have to ask the question, is the delight of what is in there allowing the fullness of what God has to flow through our lives? The truth is that that performance-based way of thinking says if you don't do the right things, if, if you do the right things, you'll accept, be accepted by the church and by God, and if you don't, you will be punished or put aside. In other words, you kind of are just trying to do enough to, be, to make the church and God happy, but it's not flowing out of commitment and delight. It's flowing out of what often becomes duties. And as a result, our walking with God is shame-based and fear-based, but it is not a delight in us. We don't know of God's delight in us, so we can't really delight in God. Now, this is not a message of judgment. I'm simply saying the context and culture around religious systems and how we've done, often this is the way it's framed. And at some point, some have said, if this is all it is, I'm done. I'm done with this kind of established religion, this kind of system, because you know what? It isn't working for me. And when Jesus talked about, I've come to bring, give you life and to give it to the full, to abundance, I haven't experienced abundance. So why do I keep chasing a carrot if I'm not experiencing the promise? So we'll kind of set that down as a backdrop and just pause and ask Holy Spirit to help us to hear and maybe hopefully even beyond my words, because my words aren't that great and I'm not that great at putting them together, but that we're stirred in our hearts towards something fresh that God's inviting us to today. Holy Spirit, uh, we acknowledge today that you are the gift, the promise that Jesus said the Father would send to us. That divine dance of Spirit, Son, and Father God together, present within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask Holy Spirit to activate within us already, even as, if you have, as you've been doing in many of us in worship, activate within us an attentiveness and an awareness, and particularly 
a simple step of faith today in the arena of delight. Open our eyes to see what it is that you are doing, our ears to hear what you're saying, and our hearts that can become hard to obey and follow through with what you've spoken to us. Loving God, we worship you, we exalt you, and we give you this time. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to begin uh, this, this, this time with a couple of verses that many of these will be familiar to us. Um, uh, it says up there, Jeremiah 37.4, and that is wrong. Uh, that is Isaiah 37.4. You did a, a check on all the spelling for me, Ashish, but I didn't give you enough time to check all the references, so my apologies. Uh, th- this guy back here is incredible on tech. He reads my slides and corrects them if they're wrong. I'm serious. Did you know that? Good work, Ashish. And you know what? Tech, tech team doesn't get enough credit here. It's Jonathan back there, right? You know what Jonathan does for me when I put this apparatus on? He puts tape on my face. Like how many of you would like to go up to somebody and put tape on their face to hold this thing on? Don's, Don's done it for me sometimes. It's kind of weird, isn't it, Don? You're like, whoa, I'm touching the bishop's face. But, you know, it's the whole body that's a part of us becoming a faith community. Every part, tape parts, editing parts, error parts. Oh, what's that? Psalm. Did I say Isaiah? (laughs) Isaiah... 37.4 in the Amplified Version says, delight yourself. Uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the the desires and petitions of your heart. Now Brenda's checking to make sure I actually got it right this time. Uh, It's right, right, my my love, it's right. Um, You see, we often look at this verse, and it becomes kind of a name it and claim it little verse. I'm going to really be happy. I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to play this hunting one too much, but I'll do it one more time. I'm going to really be happy. I'm going to sing praise songs and all the stuff that I'm going to delight in the Lord so that I find the eight point this time. Nobody ever said that. But this sense of our delight and what we're doing, and when we say that, he's going to give you the desires of your heart becomes more about the desires of my flesh than the desires of my heart. And one of the reasons I love it in the context of, of, of Psalm 37.4 is a reality in that context in the Amplified. It says desires and petitions. This is about a description of what's deep within us. What is it actually that we, we long for in how we're, 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 we're created? Not what is the petty little small thing that we would kind of like at this point. I remember when I was a, a pastor and one of the youth was really struggling with faith. Got in a car, a nice car, and the the car, for some reason, he kept getting flat tires, and he was so angry at God for his flat tires. Why does God do this to me? I said, God's not giving you flat tires, my friend. You know what? It had bad tires on it, or you ran over some nails or whatever it was. In the midst of that, what might you learn from God? (laughs) 
And, 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 and God used that circumstance rather than somehow blaming God when things don't go right. What happens in that, we've now adopted this thing that everything should be cool and perfect and nice, and then God's happy with me. And when I go through hard times, either God doesn't love me or he's trying to punish me. I'm way off track here, so I'm coming back, reeling it back. But I think that delighting from a perspective of name it and claim it verse is a gross misrepresentation of this verse. This is one of the reasons that I like the, that expanded Amplified version where I said before, the desires and petitions, the cry of the inner heart and soul. Not our fleshly desires, but the deep desire of our heart for connecting with God at the very deepest level of our being. Spirit to spirit, our spirit to God's spirit. In truth, I think we have very little knowledge, partly because it's easy for faith to be shallow, especially in our, in our American culture. We have very little desire and understanding of what, a heart, what our heart really truly longs for. We think it longs for this, and God's saying, actually, it longs for a place of delight in me. It longs for a place where you're free and delighted just to be and to enjoy God. This verse is an invitation to really discover God for who he is. Not for the way that the religious system has expressed God, but to really know God. Continue on then to the next verse. Uh, this from Psalm 147, 11. And I hope, Ashish, you haven't gone ahead of these and tried to correct all of them in advance. Good, okay. Um, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And so there is in this context, again, God's delight is toward us, but there's a particular delight in that place of saying, this is not being afraid of God, this is the sense of awe of this incredible God, kind of how you prayed out, Josh, that we look at this and we're saying, we look back and he's been faithful, we know he's going to be faithful, and we're like, we can't wait to see what it is that he's doing when we say, together creating something new, we don't even know what the new is. You know, Katrina helps facilitate the bridge team and stuff, she doesn't even know what the new is. And now she said it. She doesn't know. Now some people say, come on, leaders, get it together. No, God is going to reveal it as we walk the path. And he's going to use all of us on that journey. The bishop's not going to come in and solve this for you or have the answer. God may use him, but it is us walking together in that place. The fear of the Lord is an awareness and awe of God for him to be able to do way more than we could ask or imagine. God delights in us. God delights in us. Can you fathom that? Let's just pause for 30 seconds and think about what it means for God who created the universe to delight in you and you and you. 30 seconds. God delights over each one of us. In fact, God, because he's creator, God delights over every human being that is created and longs for them to understand the depth of his love 
and for them to embrace that because that begins to unlock the place of the delight that's reciprocated back to God. That's God's great delight. Stepping further and actually pushing this a bit more to a place where you're like, this is really getting out there, but Zephaniah 3.17 from the New Living Translation says, for the, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will, he, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Again, imagining just a little bit. What does that look like? God rejoicing over any one of us, and he's singing a song about how much he loves us. One, one translation says he's dancing over you with singing. Can you imagine God dancing over you? Now, don't get too sacrilegious here, Keith. We don't know what to do with that. But it's the essence of what is here. Delight to a place of even dancing and celebrating. Wow, I love what I've created, he says. I'm going to have to dance about that one. Try to imagine that. Imagine it's true for you because it is. God delights in every human being that is, he has created and there may be sadness that we don't embrace and accept that delight, but he doesn't change that. That doesn't change that he delights over us. And it's inviting us to truly know him so that we can delight in God as well. And when we've delighted in God, we actually have something delightful to offer others. And that is the incredible gift of knowing a God who loves us without condition. He invites us then in that place of relationship to be transformed, but he loves us without condition. Now I'm going to a story. I'm going to call it a grandpa's delight. Uh, any of you who are my Facebook friends know that I am notorious, first for posting pictures of beauty, and part of that beauty involves my grandkids. I have five of them. We have five of them. Uh, James, this is James, the oldest, when he was about one and a half or so. Um, and... My story has to do with a gift that God gave me. Uh, this week, James will turn seven on Thursday, I believe it is. And so uh, there's, this has been forming in me now for almost seven years. Becca had our first grand, grandchild, a grandson named, named James Everett Lehman. And after three months of maternity leave, she went back to work. And her mother-in-law helped to uh, watch James uh, certain days and Fridays. Every Friday, I was pastoring, so Friday was my day off. Um, I went and spent the day as James's caretaker. Grandpa and James. And I got to change his diapers to watch him grow from three months old to about nine months old. And my heart melted. I had three kids of my own, and I'm not going to say my heart didn't melt, but something happened in me, being with that precious little one, but recognizing that my identity wasn't based on what he was doing or performing or whatever. It was simply that I delighted in James. And God began to stir something in me, saying, the way that you delight over James is how I delight over you, Keith. I'm like, Wow. 52 years old, I'm, I'm too old to be learning this. 
I'm not a little kid. I should have learned this a long time ago. But that delight in God and knowing God's delight in me just keeps growing. That's why I wanted to share this one because, yeah, I'm unique. And you all know that. A little bit strange. But I delight in my grandson. And in a similar way, God delights in me. There's a lot more I could share there, but for sake of time, I'm going to keep moving forward here. The truth is that God delights in us. And he says something in the, in, in the context of Scripture at numerous times about becoming like little children. There's something about that that opens us up to the delight of God. And I'll never forget a sermon that Mervyn Charles, uh, some of you know Mervyn and particularly those on board and, and bridge team because Mervyn's helped us with consulting. Mervyn, close friend of mine, a colleague, and also uh, was a, 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 a member at Mount Mennonite Church when I was pastoring. Um, and this one time was Mervyn was just talking about this whole thing of God desiring to connect with us deeply. And he said, you know, God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to press in to know God, but he said God likes to play hide-and-seek with us. It really is like this. In this context, if I'm God the Father and I'm wooing and calling people to myself, it's not that it's just like snap a finger and you know me and you delight in me. He wants to be pursued deeper and deeper into the fullness of what it is. And so it really is like this. Like, where's God? Where's God? Here I am! You see, He reveals Himself to us in many different ways, popping up with the, here I am! And we're like a step further and more, more of the depth of who God is. You see, our God is playful in that way. In that what he wants us to do is like a little child just having fun playing the games, the things that connect, that build relationship, and as that grows, beginning to reveal the deeper and deeper treasures. But we're too cool for that. We're not going to play hide-and-seek with God, not me. Why not? What if the key to unlock the place of delight is actually to become like a little child, like Jesus preached, and in many ways simply to take the baby steps of walking toward God and watching God unfold one treasure after another of who He is, how He sees us, and how He delights over us. I always say, where do the clocks run here? 1020. Tell me how much time I have. With communion. Not with communion. With communion. Okay. We're good. You're tracking with me, Ashish. Here we go. I'd like us to look in the same way at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. We know the passage. We're very familiar with it. But just to say before we read the text, remember this passage is spoken the children of Israel in the midst of captivity in Babylon. You can read the passage more fully later on, but just recognize it sounds like such a great promise, and actually the promise is about being faithful in the midst of exile, 
away from the place of worship, the place of promise, the place of all that's happened there, partly because there was a, an idolatry and a breaking away from true worship. And God wanted to restore true worship, so he had to take them somewhere else where their longing for delight in God was greater than their love for the idolatrous things that they were doing. That's how much he loved them, to send them 70 years into Babylon, to capture their heart again to hold the hand of his children again and to draw them back into delight and the joy of knowing God. So think about this from the context of sitting by the, by the, the rivers of Babylon with brokenness and sadness because we aren't home and the prophetic word comes right here in this time. You be the church where you're at in exile, blessing those around you and watch what I do because I have plans for you. And yes, Josh, God is faithful. He has plans for every one of us that we don't know what they look like yet. For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope, and then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And then with a deep longing, you will seek me and require me. That ingredient has to be there, require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you seek me, when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will free you and gather you from all the nations and from all the, uh, and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you back, back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God is looking for our heart. For us to open our hearts to this no knowledge of the delight of God over us and in experiencing that for us to be able to delight in fullness in the one who loves us most. Key concepts here really are, are highlighted in verses 12 and 13 uh, with the first part of 14 where it says, Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you then with a deep longing you will seek me and require me as, vital and, and, uh, as a vital necessity and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, this was a hide-and-seek passage written that way, but it sure sounds like, here I am. I'm right here, right beside you, in this space, inviting you into the delight of knowing me and into the delight of sharing that with other people. But to share it, you can't share information for it to be transformational. It has to have transformed your heart before it becomes a treasure and a gift to others. If it's just information, it doesn't transform. And part of this journey that God's inviting us to now, today, in specific ways and more practically over the next block of time as a commitment of saying, how might you and I press into that place of saying, my commitment is to grow in my understanding of God's delight for me, receiving it and then delighting in God so that as treasures are mined 
out of the kingdom, out of the, out of, out of the, the mine shafts of, 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 of our lives. Those are treasures that we have to give back to God in gratitude and to give to others about the goodness of God. Proverbs 2, 4 to 5 says, You will seek skillful and godly wisdom as you would silver and search for her as you would hidden treasures. And then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You will seek skillful and godly wisdom, asking God for that, as you would silver, as you would gold, as you would gems. My one grandson, grandson Oliver, is all into gems. Every time I come, I got another gem, Grandpa. I got another gem. What if every week we went to people and said, you know what, Papa God showed me another gem this week. I can't wait to share it with other people because it is so precious. Grandpa. Or he says it this way. Grandpa. Grandpa. That's every time. Oliver. Grandpa. I got a gem. My prayer for you. For us is that we move through this year and into 2022. And through that year, there would be more and more stories of people saying, Grandpa, I found another gem. Oh, that we would have the delight of discovery for kingdom treasures like small children. Today I'm inviting you to search for God's hidden treasure. You're searching first and foremost really for God. Often we're out there trying to get more treasures so that we have more things to talk about it, but it's the wrong way around. We have to actually delight in God, live in that delight of God. And as we're in that place, that leads us to, whoa, here's a mine shaft I've never gone down before. And deep in a dark place where it might feel like we've hit the wall, Katrina, suddenly there. It's the pearl of great price, the treasure. And we begin to look at it and gaze upon it and realize that everything about it reflects the glory of the one who gave it to us. This following Jesus thing isn't some tame thing that we do when we go through religious practice. It's actually about encounter, transformation, and impartation to others. And where our religious system has gotten that mixed up, My invitation is let's go on a journey together with the God who delights in us and see what God does.